0: You're listening to the podcast for Asbury United Methodist Church. Join us every Sunday for worship at 8.30 or 10.45. Find out more at asburybosier.org. Well, it's good to be with you on this Easter Sunday morning. Our scripture lesson comes from the Gospel of John, the 20th chapter. Let us hear the word of the Lord. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But, but Mary stood weeping outside of the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabuni, which means teacher. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Jesus met Mary in the garden itself. When you think of the word garden, what words come to mind? Do you picture vegetables or flowers? Is a garden for you a place of peace and respite? Or is it a symbol of of great cultivation and hard work? Maybe the answer is simply yes, all of those things. I I really love the boards that families have been painting for our prayer garden bridge uh, that we will soon rebuild, not only because it is a picture of hope in a time when we need symbols such as these to give us hope, but a bridge into a garden is also the story of our faith. It is God's story found in Scripture. If I had the awesome responsibility of giving the Bible a title, I would call it A Tale of Three Gardens. In the third week of our study on Le Miserables, the grace of Le Miserables, we talked about how poverty, even though isn't a main character, it is almost personified in the way that it unites all of the characters together. The same holds true with the gardens that are in the story. There are gardens throughout Victor Hugo's story, and each time, over and over again, these gardens represent a different way of understanding grace, a different way of understanding our connection and our relationship with God. What is the grace of Les Miserables? The gardens are. For Monsieur Bienvenu, the priest at the beginning of the story, his garden represents Sabbath and peace. Every night he would walk through the garden to reconnect with God. Therefore, it is not a surprise to us when Valjean is in his abode, uh, when he is there with him, when the priest offers him an amazing grace, when the priest offers him new life. It is no surprise as to why this came easy to him. This constant connection with God, this constant walking through the garden of peace transformed who he was. Grace was a second nature to the priest. It is no surprise that offering forgiveness to another human being was something very easy for him. The priest's garden reminds us of the Garden of Eden. It reminds us of a time in which God and humanity walked with one another in the cool of the evening breeze without sin, without shame, and without compromise. Early in the story, Valjean finds himself to be a gardener. The convent that is giving them sanctuary employs him to till and keep their garden. This garden, even though it offers them sanctuary, isn't really a peaceful place. It's not quite Sabbath. For Valjean, it represents hard work and cultivation. And this is his story. His story is not the Garden of Eden. His story is the Garden of Gethsemane, this place of struggle, this place of wrestling with God. Father, take this cup from me, but not my will. Your will be done. And that is his story throughout the whole story of Les Miserables. That is how he understands grace. It is a daily act. It is a daily choice to live out that grace and to choose the good. He is in a perpetual Gethsemane until he finally realizes at the end of the story the grace that he had all along. For Marius and Cosette, uh, gardens represent this reckless abandon, this unkept, wild nature. They meet in secret as lovers in, in uh, the garden that Cosette is near. It's, it's unkept, it's, it's wild, it's uncultivated, it's passionate. This story reminds us of that unexpected, reckless love of God that sometimes comes out of the blue that meets us where we are. For those living on the streets of Paris, the community gardens represent God's providence. That is where they go to seek refuge. That is where they go to forage for food or to beg for alms from passerbys. It reminds us that God offers us everything that we need. You know, it's interesting in the story during the uprising of 1832, all of the public gardens are closed. How true that when we are at war with one another, sometimes God's providence and God's presence seems shuttered. And quite often it is the most vulnerable of us who have to pay that price. Hugo, Victor Hugo, leaves us with a stirring image at the end of the story. At the end of the story, Marius and Cosette are married, and it is this hopeful picture. Valjean has found peace. Uh, Marius has reconciled with his uh, grandfather. But at the end of the story, we see two children begging on the street. Even in the midst of hope, Even in the midst of resurrection, even in the midst of new abundant life, there is still work to be done. It is also a reminder not to go back to exactly the way things were. The point of the uprising of 1832 was not to go back to the way things were. The point of the resurrection is not to go back to the way things were before the resurrection. Today we celebrate the hope of abundant life. Death has been defeated. The rules of this broken world no longer apply. When our story ends with life, there is nothing to fear. There's new wine for new wineskins. And yet the temptation is for tomorrow, the day after Resurrection Day, to go back to the way things were. Is there no more important longing for us than to go back to normal, go back to work, to go back to the things that we miss but not at the expense of the things that we have now. After the resurrection, Peter and several other disciples, they went back to fishing. They went back to what they did before they met Jesus. We're not told why they go back, but I would imagine that even after seeing resurrection with their own eyes, they were asking themselves, "Well," What do we do now? Everything has changed. What do we do? So they go back to what is familiar, to what was familiar. It's interesting. Jesus goes to meet them on the shore and he calls out to them and says, children, you have no fish, have you? To go back To the way things were, is not going to work. We may go back and try to fish like we once did, and then we will hear Jesus calling to us as well You haven't caught anything, have you? Come to the lake shore. Come to the resurrected Lord. I have the fish here. The problem isn't that they were fishing. I hope that's never the problem. The problem is they were fishing for the wrong thing. Jesus called them to fish for people, to go out and to spread the gospel, and now they have an opportunity to change the world. Jesus is alive. The rules have changed. But yet they go back to what they knew. They go back fishing. The point isn't to go back and figure out how resurrection works in the things that we were doing. Rather, we are called to allow the resurrection to now dictate what we do moving forward. Our first job as humanity was to till and keep the garden. That hasn't changed. That job description still holds. But now we are called to invite people into the garden and to bring the garden out into the world. You know, it's interesting, looking back, the kingdom kingdom of God is always seen most clearly in the past. It's amazing to see the seeds that God was planting all along. For example, our first meeting at Asbury Green was talking about how to reinvent our prayer garden. Little did we know the sign of hope it would be to rebuild the bridge going into the garden, asking children and families to offer pictures of hope. Several months ago, I purchased a fancy podcasting microphone because I had a great idea for a podcast. Little did I know that I would be using it every day to offer videos while we are apart. At the beginning of Lent, we talked about a jubilee fund for debt forgiveness, to give people a chance. Little did I know how important this kind of idea would be for the entire world. Jubilee is the biblical principle of mass debt forgiveness. Every 50 years or so, the Jewish people would return land to their ancestral owner, slaves would be released, all debts forgiven, and the land, or can I say their economy, rested. In other words, every 50 years or so, every other, uh, every other generation, there was a great pause in the mechanism of their world. And right now, in a very unexpected way, we are experiencing a great pause. The mechanism of the world is resting, so to speak. And it isn't easy. I heard a story on NPR this weekend of a farmer who is begging to open up parts of our economy, to open up supply supply chains. They have the food and it's going to go to waste if the economy in some way isn't reopened. And you also hear stories of people who have lost loved ones because of the spread of this virus. What are we to do? How are we to navigate this? Every 50 years, the Jewish people paused the mechanism of the world to remind them of God. Now, I'm not saying that God caused this great pause. But I am saying that through resurrection, God is calling us to look into the future. When things open up again, when we gather together once again as a church family, we must keep in mind that not every plant needs to be replanted. We're not called to go back and fish exactly in the same way that we had. Resurrection teaches us that the rules have been broken. Death no longer has its sting. Let us let this faith, guide us into the future. Now, I'm not smart enough to know what needs to be planted and what needs to live in our memory. I hope at least to have something to say in August when our worship series starts. It will be called Canoeing the Mountains. When you're called to traverse the mountains, what do you do with the canoe that got you there? navigating uncharted territory indeed. The great pause forces us to reconsider what it means to be the church, to be resurrection people. You cannot put old wine in new wineskins. You cannot go back fishing the way we used to because if we do, we will find the resurrected Lord calling out to us saying, you haven't caught anything, have you? I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I do know that it will be full of abundant life. At least that is my faith. That is what the garden tomb teaches us. That is what it means for Christ to appear behind locked doors of fear and to call us by name and to bless us as he ascends, putting God's mission in our hands by the power of the Holy Spirit. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. And even though there is this great pause, as if we are looking into the empty tomb, not knowing exactly what to do, may we one day go out into the world fishing for one another calling out to one another, sharing the spirit of Christ that no wall can contain, no rule can keep down, this abundant life that not even death itself could contain. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Let us pray. Holy and loving God, as we move into this new day, keep us mindful of resurrection. Keep us mindful of your abundant life. Stave off the temptation to go back fishing the way that we once did. Call us to traverse the mountains of this world, reinventing the canoe that got us there. Help us to see the garden of our faith, Eden, Gethsemane, in the Garden of Resurrection, so that we might move into the fourth garden, the garden that one day will be when heaven and earth become one, when there is a new heaven and a new earth, and Jerusalem comes down upon the earth, and heaven is there, and God and God's people are one in that great tree of life that will be planted at the center of it all, that great urban garden in which we will all be one. Help us to be gardeners. It was our first job. It is our job today. It will be our job tomorrow. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.